0: And we're in Romans 3.21-23, um, through 23. but first our Old Testament lesson, because both the Old and the New Testaments, we'll especially see this morning, both point to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read from Jeremiah 23.6, hear now the perfect, infallible word of God, it is without error at any point. In his day, Judah will be saved and Israel will dwell securely. And this is a name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. And that concludes our Old Testament word from God. Now, our New Testament, Romans 3, 21 through 23, which the sermon is based on. Here now, God's perfect, holy, inspired word from the living God. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, and, uh, law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Let's pray that God would bless and anoint and grow us by the preaching and the teaching of his word. God, uh, so often our hearts are restless. Often, Lord, we struggle with anxiety, depression, despair—all of those things. And yet, though our hearts are restless, as Augustine once said, they find we find our rest when we find it in You, Lord—the rest that You provide for us, Jesus, as we just sang not only our righteousness but you are our rest and so if there's someone who is hurting struggling with depression despair and anxiety i pray that the gospel would fill them with hope and comfort and peace that surpasses understanding lord that they would know the hope that's in you jesus the hope of eternal life that you would work whether it's the live stream and who's here today lord that you would work In our hearts, to know you better, to not rest our identity in our accomplishments, but in your accomplishments for us, not in our striving, but in your perfect striving in our place. We give all the glory to you, Lord Jesus, and it's in Christ we pray. Amen. So we're going to do like a, I guess we'll do like a raise your hand kind of poll thing here. So raise your hand if you enjoy being wrong about anything see any hands not even smart Alex so that's <laughs> so yeah my guess was correct that there would be no hands that enjoy being wrong and I'm, I'm glad about that frankly I'm <laughs> and um, I say that because in my personal experience and why I've seen talking to people being a pastor for over 10 years is that there's just something inside of us that just yearns so deeply to be right um Now, I'm not saying the desire to be right is necessarily wrong in and of itself, right? I mean, you wouldn't want to be like, oh, well, I want to be wrong about everything. I mean, I'm not saying we should Go that direction, so don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is that we tend to rest our identity, our value, everything about us, in being right, living the right life, making maybe it's the right choices for your children, doing things the right way, picking the right colleges, doing making a good trek in life that you've made all the right decisions, all those kind of things. And this is uh, to such an extent that when we feel like we've done something wrong or we've messed up in some way, we've made a wrong Wrong life choice, and um, it isn't just that we've made a single error or a moral transgression or whatever you want to call it. But when we are wrong, it feels like it's a very threat to our identity, our value, and everything. Uh, in Dale Carnegie's very shrewd and intelligent book. If you ever struggle making friends, this is the book to read. (laughs) Um, Not saying any of you have that problem, but um, it's how to win friends and influence people. It is a book that changed my life, you know, in terms of how to deal with people um, because I had a real problem before I read it. (laughs) But I mean, it just really enhances the ability to understand human nature in ways I'd never thought about before and in tactics. He's very shrewd the way he understands how to do business dealings and everything. fascinating book but this is what he says criticism is futile because it puts a person on the defensive and usually makes him strive to justify himself the case criticism is dangerous because it wounds a person's precious pride we want to be right so bad hurts his sense of importance and arouses resentment So Dale Carnegie can only make a statement like that if people do, in fact, base their identity, their worth, their being, everything about themselves on them being right or righteous. We yearn for this. We yearn for our lives to be right. We want the rubber stamp of approval that says we lived the good life. We lived the right life. Um, We have this desire inside of us because, in part, God put it there. He put that desire in our heart. And this is what Romans, we've read this before, but I, I want to remind us of this verse, Romans two fourteen through 15. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do what the law requires, they are a law unto themselves, even though they do not have the law. They show that the work of the law, it screams out day and night, be righteous, do this, to live, to have life, to be happy, do this, do this. The work of the law is written, it's etched upon our hearts, while their conscience also bears witness and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them. So our hearts scream out, day and night, do this to be good. Do this and I'll be finally good enough. Do this for affirmation. Do, 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 do. And if you achieve this, finally you'll be somebody. Finally. And so we distort this desire to be righteous into living our life and we strive to generate, you know, try to get our own value and worth and significance through people, through our reputation. Um, And what I want to call, this I've heard people call this before, I call this performancism. This is the idea where we attach value and meaning to the things we do, our accomplishments, the things we've earned and achieved, getting value from our reputation in society. So if I am doing good on on one day, then I'm feeling like I'm worth something. Thing. I like, like, I finally matter. But if I have a bad day, then I feel like just, just death. I feel horrible inside. Out comes hog and hours of Netflix and you know, whatever it is you do when you're sad, whether you're a gamer or you just drive or whatever you do, um, go to the gym. I think that's the most healthiest way to solve it, though, if you're there too long. Maybe it's a problem. Um, you know, um, This is how Robert Capon... Puts it, Our greatest temptation is to think that is by further, better, and more aggressive living that we can have life. And so this is just really, if we think, an exhausti- exhausting way to live. I mean, it produces anxiety. I, I was reading the other day that the anxiety of, a, of a, a middle-aged man in a mental hospital is equivalent to what most teenagers have today in anxiety. Um, so people are anxious and exhausted, and um, we just were worn out by this way of thinking. But thankfully, by the grace of God, Paul gives us the best news ever. He teaches us here through the, word, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that vindication and righteousness, that rubber stamp on your life is apart from anything we do, we receive it. It's not inside of us, but it's outside of us in the person and work of Jesus Christ that we receive by by faith. This is what God demands of us and God God provides what he demands in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And this is such good news. And after all, that's what the gospel means. It means good news that makes us feel lighter and happier, not more heavy and burdened. That's what the gospel does for us. So let's see um, what Paul says here about this righteousness apart from doing and achieving and striving, Romans 3.21. Going verse by verse. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. So when he makes this statement about the manifestation of righteousness apart from the law um, here, he's talking about apart from keeping the moral laws in the Old Testament, you know, the Ten Commandments, all of those things. And so that, that law, by the way, we can't forget this, that moral law wasn't didn't require imperfection, but as I've said many times, it required perfection. And Paul, quoting Deuteronomy, uh, in Galatians three ten, he's quoting from the Old Testament here. Really drives this po- point home that the moral law required perfection, and so Paul d- points this out so many times. Galatians three ten: For all who rely on works on the law are under a curse. For it is written, "Cursed is be everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law to do them." All the things. Thank God there is a righteousness apart from the law. Because if we're to go by the righteousness of the law, we ain't going to make it. It's not going to happen. And so what happened is that though the Jews in the first century interpreted the law as something they could actually earn and achieve. Something that they could do. And so they thought in their own minds that, okay, I could get... To God by being good, by climbing the ladder, by, by doing all my chores, whatever it is, by doing these Jewish laws, by being good enough, nice enough, and smart enough, I can finally make it. I can do it by my good works. And Paul shows in Romans 9, 30 through 33, that that's not happening. This is what he says. What shall we say then that the Gentiles and non-Jewish people who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is the righteousness by faith but that Israel who pursued the law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. They didn't make it. They could not keep that moral law. Thank the Lord Jesus Christ that it's apart from the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. It was never based on works ever. It was only in their own mind that they thought that they could achieve righteousness by following the law. The righteousness apart from the law is Jesus fulfilling the law in our place. This is what Jesus says in Matthew five seventeen. Do not think I've come to like abolish the law. I say, I oh, just don't worry about those moral requirements. We'll just get rid of them. You're all good. Just believe. No, Jesus came to, it says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but I've come to fulfill them. I've come to do them by my own righteousness, his merit, his earnings. It's all Jesus. Now, um, some people have had the idea that, okay, the gospel, that's for New Testament Christians. The Old Testament, you know, uh, believers had to go by works. I've heard that before. And, you know, you, you know in the Old Testament, you only get kind of like uh, these laws these moral requirements, you don't get the gospel. You have to wait until you drive to the New Testament to finally get those nuggets. That's not going to happen to you. Well, in fact, Paul says the opposite here. He says, the law and the prophets bear witness to the gospel in the Old Testament, the law and the prophets being the summary of the entire Old Testament. And I just want to give you guys two examples of this. One coming from um, Genesis 15:6. We see the gospel message of salvation by faith. And this is talking about Abraham now. And he believed the Lord and it was counted or reckoned to him as righteousness. So there you have salvation by faith alone. It was always by salvation by faith alone. As Paul just said in Romans, they thought they could do it in their own minds, but they couldn't achieve that righteousness by keeping the moral law because it requires perfection. And as they say, to err is human. Isaiah 53, 10 through 11. We see again, I mean, I'm just giving you two examples. I could go on and on and on about the examples in the Bible of the gospel in the Old Testament, but we want to eat lunch eventually, so I'm going to just give you two. Isaiah fifty three ten through eleven. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him, Jesus. He was. He has put him to grief when his soul makes an offering for guilt. He shall see his offspring, and he shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, declared righteous, reckoned righteous. And he, Jesus, shall bear their iniquities. So it's dying for their sins, reckoning them righteous. That sounds like the gospel we read in the New Testament. It's not like there's this whole thing where, oh, it's just made up in the New Testament. You got to wait till that happens. No, it's in the word of God from Genesis 3.15. All throughout all of the Old Testament points to the person and work of Jesus Christ. So this is the righteousness he's talking about in Romans uh, 3, through 23. The righteousness of God through faith, through the instrumentality of faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so the righteousness of God here refers to the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we get by faith, by trusting. It is a righteousness that will enable us on the day of judgment to stand before an infinitely holy, And just perfect God Whose eyes are so pure He cannot look upon sin He will not see that on us Because we are clothed In the righteousness of Christ So there's no judgment And condemnation That awaits us before God Only the blessing Of the righteousness Of Jesus Christ And that is The biggest blessing Is that's when our relationship With God begins When we trust in Jesus It starts with trusting in Him And that relationship That we have eternal life Knowing the living Infinite God of the universe That is the greatest thing we can have. Uh, Paul affirms this and and, uh, shows us this in Philippians 3, 7 through 9. All of his past accomplishments, being a really righteous Jewish guy, doing all the things, following all the laws. But this is what he says in verse 7. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss. For the sake of Christ. All those religious accomplishments, those plaques, those achievements, it's all lost compared to knowing Jesus. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Not a nice word in the Greek language. Won't go into it. You know, just keep your mind open on that. Um, In order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. It's not by doing and achieving, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ, in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on works? No, that depends on faith. And so this is how we receive it by trusting in Jesus specifically. I um, think people want to think of, well, maybe just trusting in God. I remember in South Carolina, I was a youth pastor there, and 30, 40 kids, a youth group and everything. And, you know, I, I was shocked how often people a date in the south especially in their teenage years uh it was very you know uh abundant and so i would you know they would say oh I you know i got a girlfriend or i got a boyfriend they would tell me they'd be all excited i guess and you know i'm kind of a debbie downer about that i'm like oh really are they a christian you know kind of like that um i wouldn't say it like that though but you know the church lady came and just popped out on, you know. So they, they follow Jesus. And I love, they would sidestep the question so well. Oh, so they believe in they follow Christ? Well, you know, they believe in God. <laughs> oh, sneaky, 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 you know. And, you know, some people think, oh, well, it's just believing in God. No, it's specifically, you know, or one of the things I hear often is a higher power whatever that means, you know, some general, vague concept of deity, undefined. But no, it gets really specific here. We have a trust in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to have a relationship with God. If I don't know who my wife is, and I can only describe her in general terms, like, you know, she's a woman, she lives in a house sometimes, and she eats food, you know, you'd be like, He doesn't really know anything about his wife, right? Like, there's something strange with that relationship. You would think something's profoundly dysfunctional with that picture. Well, she's a woman, and she likes food. I mean, you know, sometimes. You're like, wow, that's weird. But, you know, and yet people find that acceptable when we're talking about the God of the universe. Like, oh yeah, some general vague concept of God, nothing specific. You don't want to offend people. Don't get too specific here. But no, to have a good relationship with God, we must trust specifically in the historical person of Jesus Christ, His finished work for us. He's a person, He is God incarnate, died for our sins. We must trust, believe, and receive Him specifically. Now, believing in Jesus does not mean just like believing facts, like, you know, like a robot or something, boop, 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 you know, Jesus, you know, died on the cross for our sins, you know, resurrected. It's not believing facts. James chapter two says demons believe things about God properly, but that doesn't matter. It's more than just believing facts. It's trusting and having a relationship and trusting specifically, not that Jesus died for sins specifically specifically. And or generally or that we receive his righteousness generally, but that he died for my sins, earned righteousness for me. As Paul says in Galatians, the son of God gave himself up for me specifically. So we must trust that those sins are our sins are forgiven, not just sins in general, righteousness in general. It's a particular faith in a particular person to die for all of our particular sins and to earn righteousness for us. And when we trust in Jesus, we receive a righteousness that is not from us, it is outside of us. As Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, who I, re- I love reading, I relate to him on uh, his issue of anxiety and being neurotic. Um, I, I have a company with Martin Luther on always thinking about all the past sins I've ever committed, and I'm like, man, that sounds like me, you know? Um, but an alien righteousness. That comforted Luther when he was struggling so much. A righteousness outside of us from Jesus, from his work and merit. That we will have eternal life forever and ever. That we're accepted before God in the final day of judgment. And this is good news. That everybody else in the world, they cannot affirm you. But Jesus affirms you in Christ. Uh, People worry. Okay, you can't. This righteousness is based on Jesus. Well, can I lose it? You know, I mess up on something, have a really bad day. Can I I lose this righteousness? But see, to think that way is to assume what? That is based on you. But I just said it's outside of you. It's the alien righteousness of Jesus Christ. It is a extrinsic righteousness that we receive. It's not based on you at all. And so to ask that question is assume that it's based on you, which it never was in the first place. And so, uh, yeah our sins do not take away that righteousness it's based on jesus but what if it's really bad nate you know people love to ask me that right what if i really did something terrible it was so bad and maybe i did it So <laughs> it's always like i did it 10 times you know you're like wow okay 10 times magic number there that's you know you're like wow okay that was terrible that you did that but guess what no it's still cleansed it's still forgiven because again you're assuming that it's based on you and this is a problem with people in general it's a problem with me it's a problem we all have is that we are conditioned to think conditionally do a good job at your, your at your work get more money or whatever it is you uh, you know are really nice to your wife you have a good probably have a good relationship hopefully um, you know uh, you. Uh, you you, you, work, you earn an achievement at City Hall or whatever it is, or you work really hard and you get a reward for that. That's We are conditioned to think conditionally. That is, that is how we function. And so it's, it's amazing to imagine that this is not based on us and we can't lose this righteousness. It's hard for us to digest. Um, and if you look at Peter, uh, Peter is a perfect example of this. Jesus says in Luke that he's not going to let him go, that he's not going to let Satan have him. And Peter... Fails Jesus three times by denying him. And then Peter denies the gospel in the book of Galatians. And yet God still loves him. Even though as a church leader, he skirts his responsibility. He totally messes up. I mean, I don't, you know, I don't know of many pastors, you know, at least are in the valley, that have just openly denied the gospel. But Peter did that. He really led people astray. He repented, of course. But he led people astray. And what we have to remember is that God's forgiveness... Is greater than man's forgiveness because if you mess up with people, they might forgive you like three or four times, hopefully. Uh, but and if you mess up again and you don't show that you're sorry for it, that forgiveness, it's done. Right? People are gonna ghost you or something on the cell phone. Who knows? <laughs> I'm learning these terms from the college. Ghosting means you don't talk to someone. They text you and you don't respond back. You know. Um, so you ghost somebody because they messed up too many times. Um, But that's not how God's forgiveness looks. Look at Matthew 18, 21 through 22. Then Peter came up to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? (laughs) Peter puts it at seven. Jesus said to him, no, I do not want you to to say, I I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Now, some people think, they're like, okay, well, I just got to hold up till 77 and we're good to go, you know? (laughs) Um... But that actually is the, 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 it's a Hebraism for endless forgiveness. And that's the forgiveness that God has for you. It's endless. It's not like man's forgiveness. The standard that Jesus lays out here is to express the righteousness and forgiveness in Jesus. That his forgiveness is endless. So we, we are to try to be like Jesus in forgiving others the same way. What I find so profoundly interesting about this gospel presentation is that, Immediately after, Paul does this again. And like, you might have been thinking this throughout as I was preaching through Romans 1 and 2, like, man, this stuff is really heavy-handed. Like, this judgment, sin stuff. I mean, I went through it slowly a little bit. You know me. I like to go slowly through the verses. And it was all about, you know, how sinful we are. And you're like, I'm tired of hearing about the sinful stuff, Nate. I'm, I'm Okay, one more sermon, I'm going to pop here. You know, I'm tired of this. But Paul does it again. He just is so repetitive. So you can't get mad at me for being repetitive, okay? He says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's like, yeah, duh, Paul, we know that. That you've just spent two chapters saying that in a million different ways, over and over and over again, we're tired of it. Why does he repeat that again? Well, That's really the question we want to look at. And the reason is, is well, the gospel is amazing, tremendous, awesome news. Um, as I said, we as human beings, we are conditioned to think conditionally. We are bred and trained even by our parents, you know, and I, I do this with my kids. If they do something good, I, you know, give them uh, candy or I spoil them and take them to Shields, as my wife really doesn't like. But I take them on the Ferris wheel and every time they know they can get a toy out of dad, you know. Can we have a toy? Last night, Yesterday I didn't do it and um, it was like a four-stage meltdown, you know, because I'm, I give them toys all the time for doing the smallest insignificant task. So we are conditioned to be conditional. Like we are conditioned to try to earn our value. And um, we we always fall short though. That's what he's reminding us of. It's like, don't go there. Don't go towards that kind of conditional thinking. Remember, you're sinful. So he has to remind us, hammer in our sinfulness so that we don't go back to our natural way of thinking, which is like, let me try to generate worth, value and righteousness by being good enough. He's like, remember you're sinful, you can't do it. You need Jesus. So he's kind of reminding us of that. because we love to generate our worth by how our children turn out, whether they're good or bad. People find value in the colleges their children go to. I've seen parents do it, um, or how well they're doing in a job or whatever it is. And we do it for ourselves, how well we're doing in, a, in in a job and our achievements, which, you know, children doing well in school, great. Having, being good at their job, you being good at your job, you having a good reputation. Those are not bad things in and of themselves, as I said before, but it becomes bad when it becomes your very identity, your reason for living. And so that if you lose your job, your kid falls off the rails, um, your relationship with your spouse falls apart, your reputation is tattered and destroyed, it, it feels like life is no longer worth living. Without this maybe a job you've done for 30 years and you've built your identity behind a certain profession, a fireman, maybe a policeman or a pastor, whatever it is, and it's gone. It's like, who am I without this job, without this identity? And so we try to generate our value through different ways. But when we try to do that, we always fall you know, face flat into not being fulfilled. Um, and when that falls apart, man, we fall apart. We cease to exist. It's crazy. I love the way Paul Zoll explained this in the book, Who Will Deliver Us, the present power of the death of Christ. This is what he says. If I can do enough of the right things, I will have established my value. The identity is a sum of my achievements. In Christian theology, such a position is called justification by works. That's what it is. It assumes my worth is measured by my performance. Conversely, it conceals a dark and ghastly fear. If I do not perform, I will be judged as unworthy. To myself, I will cease to exist." And so we build our entire identity on being a parent, a good employee. When that fails and falls apart, it's like a meltdown. It's depression, despair, anxiety, exhaustion. And we've worked so hard and we feel like we fail. And we just, it just strips us bare in terms of our soul. It just ruins us. The wind is taken out of our sails. It's a horrible feeling of despair. And um, like, well, Nate, I'm doing really good at my job right now. So I'm, I'm doing fine don't need any of this advice, but you know, it's true. Even if you're doing well, you wake up the next morning and you're like, well, I've done really well in this job. Well, I got to keep on keeping up the the hard work. I got to, I got to go to the next level. I got to make it and I got to strive harder and harder so I can generate more of my value and I can finally be worth something even more than I thought I could ever be. And you get to that point point, you're like, well, maybe I can go even farther at that. And so what happens is we just wake up every morning. Okay, what's next? What's the next great thing? You know, they've done this a study on... Um, uh, celebrities and Hollywood actors that you know they've been working in restaurants, working in horrible work conditions, and they finally make it, and they wake up the next morning and find out I'm still that same person. Nothing's changed. And there's this great feeling of like, well, I don't know what else to do. I'll just keep on making more movies, I guess. What else am I going to do? And it's like, okay, what's next? And so it just, it just makes them so tired. Professional athletes, same thing. It's got to go to the next level. And so people are just tired. I I mean I talk to so many people people tell me all the time Nate I'm just so tired I'm tired we're all tired you know and we're just like it just sucks you dry you're waking up every morning trying to do the next big thing like a hamster on the wheel and you're just striving and striving and striving and it's exhausting and it just never feels like it's quite enough and there's just emptiness inside of us and this is why Jesus says in the gospel this is why he describes it as rest when we rest who we are in Jesus, are we anchor our identity and our value and worth in Jesus, it brings rest to our souls. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Come to me all who are labor and are heavy laden. I'm tired. We're all tired. Beat down, exhausted. Kids, jobs, demands, this and that and this and that Sounds like some real good news right there for tired, anxious, exhausted people. We so often root our identity and our accomplishments rather than the finished work of Jesus Christ. You can rest from trying to be good enough and worthy enough because Jesus was good enough and worthy enough for you. People think, oh, well, that means you're resting in Christ. That means, you know, I can just do anything I want now, you know. Sit on the couch, eat fig newtons, marshmallows, Catch up on daytime TV, Oprah, whatever you're into, you know, all the Netflix, you know, series you've missed. Maybe you can check out the latest RPG and get your paladin up to level 99. Who knows, you know, watch daytime football. And then, you know, afterwards you can um, do uh, uh, fantasy football, you know, just kind of just do all this stuff so you don't have to do anything anymore. You're good to go. Rest in Jesus. Well, that's not what rest means when I'm talking about that. Uh, That's not the kind of life the gospel produces in us. Because we're rooting our identity and value in Jesus, that means we are no longer about serving people in order to vindicate and to justify ourselves uh, to show how good or right or amazing we are. We are serving people out of joy because Jesus has already been right for us. And there's a joy that comes from that, a deep satisfaction. So I don't have to get my worth from you, you know, people. You people, it sounds so weird. Um, That didn't come out the way. Uh, Yeah. Um, Just forget it. Um, I don't have to get my affirmation from anybody. How's that? End it that way. Um, I don't feel like I need to, you know, get approval from people to feel like I matter. I don't need to, you don't have to coddle and affirm me because I'm already affirmed in Christ. That should be our mental uh, idea as Christians. I don't need to take anything from you or generate something from you to, to get something from you because everything I already need, I already have in Jesus. So I'm free to fail. I'm free to mess up. I'm free to tell you I'm wrong every single time. I'm free from having to be the center of attention. I'm free from trying to get my worth from you or my reputation or whatever it is. I'm free from those things. Jesus says the truth will set you free. I'm free to be last because Jesus was first for me. I'm free to give up this relentless, exhausting, And it's selfish, too. Selfish pursuit of self-salvation, self-justification. Because every time we're in the pursuit of trying to vindicate ourselves, it's all about us. It's not about other people. It's not about God. It's about us trying to make ourselves feel like we are right or good enough for whatever it is. And so the most amazing thing about being a Christian, it is no longer focused on you getting right with God. Feeling right with yourself, rather it is focused on Jesus Christ and him crucified. The author and perfecter, the finisher of our faith. He did it for us. It is finished. You don't have to add to that. He's already done it all. And you see, when you give up the pursuit of self and justifying self, you're focused on Christ. And when you're focused on Christ, that's when you're going to have the greatest Motivation to love and serve others To care for others And you find joy in that Because it's already been finished It's all been done So you just have to love on people You don't have to take from people Or derive things from people It's all in service for Christ Because that is a focus Not getting yourself right with Christ He's already done it That is all the value And acceptance we'll ever need Now We, we forget that don't we I forget that Um You guys see me up here, you know, and people think pastors are really, they're perfect. They never make any mistakes. Well, that's not true. We're people just like everybody else. Pastors are people too, right? And when I'm preaching, I'm not just preaching to you guys. I'm preaching to myself. I need to hear this too because I forget this all the time. And I preach it. That's why I need. To, that's to say, we got to hear the gospel every single Sunday. And so Paul writes this letter to Christians because all Christians need to be reminded that it is finished. Your value, your identity, your worth is anchored in Jesus. And so some people think, oh, Romans—that's a great book for evangelism. You know, you get a great book to go through. You know, but we forget it's written to Christians. It's for believers. It's for unbelievers as much as it is for believers. Because we often fall into our conditional thinking, our slavish attempt to try to vindicate and justify our existence. And yet all the time, we have the righteousness of Jesus Christ right there in our souls in front of us. So one of my things, you know, it's usually like this came out with, I don't know what to call a wedding shower. I don't know what it was, but um, it was yesterday. Um, Usually there's one, pe- there's one person in a couple that loses their keys. Well, the wonderful thing is that me and my wife both are constantly <laughs> losing our keys on a regular basis. I think it happens like every day like you know they say opposites we're opposite in every single way except for the losing of keys it is our like professional duty to lose keys it's like if there was someone watching it they would be like wow this this couple doesn't have it together with regard to keys can't you know, put it in the same place well yeah it's great to put them in the same place when you have screaming kids you're like here's my keys you're throwing on the couch you know go up to bed you know ee. come on put it in the same place do that with a you know a three year old that thinks he's the Incredible Hulk. Try that for a moment, you know. But you know, you know, and I'm late to an appointment or something. I'm always late, um, and so. The thing is, is that you know I'll be running around saying, "Where's my keys? Have anybody seen my keys?" And I'm gonna like, open oh, up mattresses. You know, I'm freaking out about that. This, and I'm like, "I gotta make it. I'm late." You know, uh, it's hard for me to take, keep an appointment. So if I'm, if you have an appointment with me at lunch, I will be five minutes late because I will lose my keys. That happens every time. And so I'll be running around. You know, looking under things, looking under bowls, whatever it is. You know, on the table, looking for my keys. And then I have my jacket on. (laughs) I reach into my jacket. My keys were there all the time. Seeking for keys, but I had it all the time. That's just like how we are, though, with the righteousness of Christ. We're seeking for uh, approval and vindication and worth and value. All the while, we have everything we need right there in our pocket. The righteousness of Christ. So that when we are were, we were reminded of this, we can better serve God, serve our neighbor, because all is finished and we don't have to take anything. All we give is a love of Christ to others. And that is a joy that the gospel produces in our hearts. Let us pray.